0: Well, last week, uh, we jumped into uh, the letter that John writes called First John as he's addressing a, a church with some specific problems. We're going to get a little bit more into those uh, problems in the weeks ahead, but we talked about how John writes to this community of people and it's likely like we take for granted that we have our whole Bibles and we have all these gospels but it's likely that some of these early church communities would have had perhaps maybe just one of the gospels. They were lucky if they had a gospel. Uh, they were lucky if they got a letter from Paul, even though sometimes they were rebuking some things about them But they were lucky if they had something to go off of. Like, we just take for granted that we have our phones, which give us the access to our Bibles anywhere. But as these people are trying to work out what it means to look like and live in Christian community, uh, John kind of says, okay, this is what this looks like. This is what you're supposed to be about. And so we open up this great letter by talking about how John begins by saying, Jesus came to reveal the Zoe life. We talked about how this concept is that there's a deeper life. Usually when we think about eternity, we think about angels and clouds and like someday, you know, someone just strumming on a harp and very peacefully being with God. But what Jesus reveals, John says, is you can participate in the Zoe life now. It's not just when you die. And so there's things that we all can participate in right now which have a legacy for eternity. The things that we can join in, the ways that we can participate more in the life of Jesus right now, help us to understand that there's deeper things happening. But that's hard because we have the psyche life always. So there's two different Greek words for life. And psyche just basically means all the other stuff, the things that take up your time, uh, thinking about all the issues that you might have on your day, your morning commute, which is awful because you live in L.A., that really cranky person who you work with, or maybe you are the cranky person, you just don't realize it. And we have all this stuff that is just constantly in our face. And John says, Jesus came to reveal the Zoe. It's not just about something that happens after you die. In fact, you can participate in it if you have an awareness right now first john says basically that jesus came to reveal like life not just this thing that happens someday off in the future like what a better life means right now so he presents that concept and then continues in this fascinating letter and says this 1 John chapter 1 verse 5 this is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you God is light and there is no darkness in him at all and we could probably just stop right there and i could just sit down cuz that is a, a fantastic and, and beautiful verse and combined with our worship team and the great singing they've done today like we could probably just say all right I, we're done but uh, you guys would probably say, "O'Brien oh, Brian didn't work hard enough. So we have to like go through this. But my challenge for you literally this week is to memorize this verse. Because I think it's such an important verse and one that I think helps us to really understand what 1 John chapter, uh, the whole book, is getting at. So I just challenge you. We leave Bible memorization to the kids sometimes. But it would be very powerful if we all did it and understood Scripture better. So my challenge for you is to memorize this first because it, it's such a powerful concept. And throughout John's writings, this light versus darkness theme comes up if you read the gospel of john nicodemus for example he comes to jesus at night he's this religious leader and he comes to jesus under the cover of darkness and it shows that eventually nicodemus is going to be enlightened but at the beginning of this conversation he's coming to him in darkness jesus says in john's gospel i am the light of the world This concept comes up over and over and over again. And we can think of light in lots of different ways. Perhaps you think of it as some symbol of purity. But the way that the writer here, John, is talking about it in this letter is that Jesus is this force for good that can't be stopped. When we think about light versus darkness, I think something that that screws us up is that we have all of these movies in the back of our heads that we see all the time, which that theme is almost constant in the movies that we watch, that the character that's on the good side, whatever that good side happens to be, barely is able to surpass the enemy, like on the last little bit of this character's strength, you know, they somehow figure out how to overcome the the, the darkness. We have the Star Wars films, which is the light versus the force, or the, the dark versus the, the force, the, the dark side. Sorry, I'm not really a Star Wars expert, but um, uh, we... Have, have those concepts. The, the Harry Potter movie is all 18 of them. Um, they are, are running through um, some, some similar things and teaching us similar concepts. And really, almost in every movie that you see, it's this thing that happens that, you know, the, the bad guys are just about to win, but the good guys, you know, or the, the female character, the good woman, or whatever it is, they somehow summon up the strength to win in the end. And then they walk off the screen with a significant other and everything just looks wonderful for them. But that's not actually how light and dark works. Light isn't the opposite of darkness. Light is infinitely more powerful than darkness. Like, it's not a match. It's not like, ooh, is darkness going to win this time or is light going to win? When light is revealed, when light enters into a situation or a room, darkness has no shot. It's completely overcome. It's not like there's these competing forces and like, well, is light going to win or is darkness going to win? When light enters into a room, it immediately dissolves the darkness, right? And when you go home and tonight, once it gets dark, it gets dark a little bit later, but 9 p.m. or something and you need some light in your house, you don't flip on the the light and go, oh, I hope this is going to work. You don't turn on the light and think, oh, well, I hope this works out. Let's cross my fingers that this time the light's going to win. No, you flip it on, and unless the thing is burnt out, you're good within seconds, right? I mean, it's just immediate that the light overcomes the darkness in the room. And a way to think about this is, it's just a a, a destroying force. For example, let's say that... uh, I got to play LeBron James one-on-one in basketball. Like, look at this picture. This would be how uh, that would go, right? I would just be... <laughs> it, I like the idea of me on the court with Kyrie Irving Durant and LeBron. Um, and it looks like I'm getting an offensive foul right there, actually. Like, I'm, I'm standing standing my ground. An offensive foul would be my only hope, though. That, like, I just kind of stand still and he runs me over because... I'm not going to get a shot off against LeBron. He's going to immediately steal the ball if I try to dribble it. And there's just no hope in that situation. He would just repeatedly dunk on me. And especially if he's trying his hardest, he'd probably think this was a joke. But he would repeatedly beat me. He would destroy me. My friends and I, one time were having a conversation. Uh, how old would Kobe Bryant have to be uh, for me to beat him at my current age? So I was about 33 at that point, And my friend said he'd probably have to be in his 90s and likely in In a wheelchair. And that's true for these kind of, you know, amazing world-class athletes. And that is an illustration of light versus darkness. Like, there's no hope, right? If you introduce light into a room, in fact, just a few weeks ago, we had a moment where I just put a, a candle in this dark room. We turned off all the lights, and a small candle, everybody in the room could see it. It's not like, you oh, I really hope light's going to win. You know, let's all root for it. And then hopefully, you know, like in the movies, it's going to maybe make it. Light always wins. Darkness is the absence of light. And this is a really important distinction, that darkness is at light's mercy. And the way to get rid of darkness is to introduce the light. If you're tired of some things in your life that just, you know, life isn't going all that well, add a little light. And many of us, if we're honest, we know what that probably is. If we're honest, we know what we probably should do to introduce light to a situation. Maybe it's being more honest. Maybe it's having a conversation that you really kind of don't want to have. Maybe it's starting to forgive somebody. Maybe it's walking in a different direction, walking away from a certain relationship. And when you experience things that you know aren't from God, when you experience jealousy or, or fear or confusion, don't try to manage it. This is why Jesus says, we're not just going to deal with adultery here, people. Like, let's get back from that line a bit. Don't, like, manage lust. Because that's a really stupid thing to do. Why would you allow that into your life? Or don't just think about murder because you could get so angry that you could maybe get to that point if you're not careful. So back up a little bit. And check yourself before you wreck yourself, right? Walk away and say, hey, I don't want to like manage the darkness in my life and say, I'm just going to toy with the darkness over here and just kind of mess with it and, and do that little thing for a little bit. Don't even do that. And again, many of us, we probably know what we need to do. We probably know where we need to spend a, less, a little bit less time. We probably know who maybe God has put on our heart to forgive It's likely that we know this stuff. This is why, for example, Jesus says, pray for your enemies. And I want to just pause for a moment, and maybe you don't have an enemy, but maybe there's somebody who just you're angry at and you're having a hard time forgiving. Or there's somebody maybe way back in your past that you just think that person did something so, so mean to me, it's really hard, or maybe it's a more present thing. Just think of somebody that you have some amount of discord with. And I'm not going to make you say their name, so don't worry. <laughs> like, well, will just go up in a line and have a mic. No, I'm not going to do that. But just think, maybe that person comes to mind. And I want you right now, literally, just, just pray for them. You don't have to say it out loud. But just pause and say a prayer for that person. Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies. Not because it's like a, a nice idea and you know, you really should do it. but Because when you learn to pray for them and really pray for them, not pray that they get hit by a bus or something, but actually pray God's blessings on them, God's good on them, and that might be the really impossibly hard first step to take that you would pray your blessings that you would say God you know what that person really hurt me they really wronged me I I feel very hurt by them but God I pray your blessings on them if you started to pray like that eventually you're not going to have enemies anymore Eventually, you're going to see them in a different light. Eventually, you might see them like God sees them. Again, this is a a darkness management issue. We think we can just have some hate in our heart and just manage it and keep it below the surface and not let it get out anywhere. And I'm just going to manage it and not worry about it, even though we know the quote about revenge and that stuff that actually hating somebody is like taking poison every single day and it's expecting it to kill somebody else. Where are you managing darkness? You just add a little light. Again, I think we generally know what we should do in these situations. But do we trust God enough to do it? One of my favorite stories in Scripture is the story of Zacchaeus, who was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. And as Jesus is walking by This tree, he interacts with Zacchaeus and says, hey, you come down. I'm going to go to your house today. Zacchaeus was like the worst of the worst. And Jesus is known for hanging out with the sinners. And so he goes to his house and has this meal. And Zacchaeus is so profoundly moved that this important rabbi and this teacher would come into his house and have table fellowship, which was a way of showing love to this person. And it's so significant because tax collectors were known as the ones who were just the worst because they sided with Rome, they sided with the, the bad people, and then they would overly tax the Jewish people. So Jesus has this profound interaction with Zacchaeus, and it's so moving that Zacchaeus says, I'm going to pay back, you remember how, the amount, how much he says? Anybody? Anybody? says four times the amount. Every little bit that I've done wrong, I'm going to go pay back four times. And I tell you that because I know that how we, I think, interact with Jesus, sometimes collectively, is we think that Jesus in that moment is just going to be like, oh, Zacchaeus, it's okay. You told me about it. Just give me a hug. We'll hug it out. And then it's all going to be better. And just, it's okay as long as you tell me. But what Jesus says is actually so profound. He says, truly salvation has come to this house. Because Zacchaeus, you were walking in the darkness. And now you're walking in the light. And actually, this is such a significant amount of money, four times the amount that it might even put Zacchaeus into poverty because of this decision. Likely, if he's going to quit the tax collecting game, which he's probably not going to be able to do that anymore. It's completely changing his life. But I think Zacchaeus would have told you that it was worth it. Don't try to manage greed in your life. Get rid of it. Don't try to manage the darkness in your heart. Get rid of it. What would it look like for you to add some light to your life? And we could just dwell on this first. God is light and there is no darkness in God at all. John continues. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. But if we're living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we pretend like we are in the light, but we continue to walk in darkness, we aren't practicing truth the truth. Generally, when we think about truth, we think of it as this reality that's a bit outside of us. Maybe it's something that's important to you, but it can be like a concept uh, a little bit that is is not necessarily uh, within you, but really the the better way to, to translate this and understand this concept is then you aren't living in reality. Like if you are saying that you have fellowship with God, but you go on living in this darkness, then you aren't really real. Your life actually isn't real. And you know sometimes when you're in that space. Again, if we could just pause and be honest sometimes about how we really aren't uh, real, perhaps, in a given moment. And when we think about the idea of truth and reality, a question we might ask, go ahead and put that next picture up. Uh, We would ask, like, is this apple real? We wouldn't really ask, is this apple true? And since it's up there and i'm not holding it you're like i don't know that's a weird concept i don't know exactly is this apple true but the way that this truth is being communicated here in in first john is better like is it real a question that this is asking us is is your life real is the way that you're living the life that you're participating in is it actually what's happening and are you willing to address that stuff? Because if you're walking around in, in spiritual darkness and you aren't willing to accept maybe your responsibility, you're not willing to, to move forward in a given situation, you can live your entire life going in opposite directions of where God would intend for you to go. The concept that helps with this, I'm going to show a short uh, video that is a bit of a, a magic trick. You might have seen this before, but I think it helps to illustrate what this idea is talking about. I like flowers because they remind me of how beautiful life is, but also very fragile. And that's why every second counts. In the grand scheme of things, life happens in a blink of an eye. So for the next few moments... Don't blink. So yeah, I have no idea how he did that. And you might have seen how he did it. I have no idea. But I have had experiences where I've seen magicians, those up close people who can do stuff like that in front of you, and you literally say, how did you possibly? That doesn't make any sense. You might be, oh, that's fake because it's on TV or whatever. But I've seen people who it's unbelievable what they can do right in front of you. And what's so powerful about an illusion, a very good magic trick, is it looks so real. It is in front of you, and it's unbelievable, and they find a way to distract you so you're looking some other place, but it's so amazing because it looks real. And the struggle that I think we all deal with, and what John is trying to help us think about is ways that we walk around in spiritual darkness, we love our illusions. It's hard for us sometimes to separate what is illusion in our life and what really is real it's hard to be truly convicted by God and to make a a radical change in your life to go in a different direction to do what God is calling you to do in a situation one of the most popular uh, things going around right now is the concept of fake news and whatever it is that you don't like whatever station you don't like they're the ones who make the fake news but we all participate in the fake news We all, through texting and through conversations, I think maybe more than ever, we can just tell our side of the story and then we get separated into just the people that agree with us and we get more and more siloed until the truth that we have is some sort of reality that isn't actually real. We choose illusions often, I would say. A couple ones that I, I just thought of that I think are are important things that I know I personally struggle with. There's an illusion called tomorrow. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't plan for tomorrow and that you shouldn't sometimes, you know, think about how you use your, your gifts right now and your, your money, how you might plan for the tomorrow. But the issue is tomorrow won't ever exist. Because when it's here, it's today. and That's a bit funny of a concept to think about but tomorrow won't ever exist and I'm not saying don't plan for it and make like something because you might have to think about that but don't stress about it don't live with crippling anxiety because of tomorrow because tomorrow won't ever exist eventually it'll just be today and you might not make it to that today and so you walk with a different way of life Another illusion that many of us buy into is money is security. Like we think that if we just get to whatever it is and you have that number in your head, it's probably just a little bit more than you have or a lot more than you have. And you think if I could just get to that number, if I could get to that space, then I would have ultimate peace. If I could just get that thing, if I could put this much away, then I would have that peace. But there's going to be a day when you take your last breath and it won't matter whether you're rich or poor and your security won't be in your money John is asking us to think what is real what's true what's deeper than just the surface level that we can sometimes live at I had the honor yesterday of performing the funeral for Purita and she's such a fascinating woman. I knew a bit about her life, but I learned so much more about her. She lived to the age of ninety and just had a, a fascinating experience. She grew up in the Philippines, lost her mother at a young age, and it was such a remarkable uh, woman of faith. She was very intelligent, and I uh, ended up getting a master's degree. She worked for twenty-five years uh, in the patent office in the Philippines, and. Did some wonderful work there and eventually came to this country. She and her husband were married for 57 years. And as you look out, as I looked out over the crowd and talked a little bit about her life, you could see that Purita was like a tree, a matriarchal tree who now has all of these branches going out. And they did a slideshow of her life and it was just filled with people. Toward the end of the slideshow, it said, here's the Campia family, and it was about 50 people. And then there was the next slide, and it was another side of her family, and it was another, like, 50 people. She's somebody whose life, whose commitment, her 57 years of marriage to her husband, it's become like a tree to the world. She's blessed so many people. Are you living toward the Zoe life striving for something deeper thinking about the legacy that you're leaving John continues if we claim to have no sin we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth but if we confess our sins to him he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness if we claim we've not sinned we're calling god a liar and saying that his word has no place in our hearts. That if we walk around in this illusion that we don't have sin in our lives, which can be a bit hard to do because if you've been baptized, you've said, I don't have it all together and God, I need your help. And every week we take communion. I hope that's a moment where you reflect and think about what God has called you to, the ways that maybe you've gotten off track and you once again receive that love. Because it's so much better to understand the reality of this promise. John is saying that you can just continue to walk around in this illusion and continue to be participating in sin and not really necessarily living in reality, but Jesus just wants to give you a hug and welcome you back. The forgiveness of God is better than walking around in this spiritual darkness. Jesus is helping you to move to a deeper life. And if you claim that you aren't part of the problem and you aren't part of the issue, then God's word has no place in your heart. And when we get baptized, we say, God, we need you. God, I submit myself to you and your love. What John is trying to communicate here, I think, is the reality of life with God is so much better than walking around in our illusions. God is calling us not to just like manage our sinfulness and, you know, try to get rid of the darkness, but to truly walk in the light of life. 1 John 1 is just so practical. It's talking about like real life, what's actually happening during your day. And so if you want to be angry more often, then go ahead and practice anger. If you want to be envious, go ahead and just be jealous all the time. If you want to feel shame, just feel guilt all the time. Jealousy has no place in the light of God, but if you learn to practice peace, if you practice love, you can get really good at that stuff. And God communicates this to us through Jesus, that there's this significant and profound way to live, for example, with the enemies, that you would just begin by praying for enemy, and As you start to bless people who've hurt you, it's going to change your heart in a direction that you won't have enemies for that much longer. Because you're going to continue to love them in a certain way. So stop trying to manage the darkness and let LeBron come in and dunk on it, basically. (laughs) Let that overpowering force of light come into your life. Submit yourself to that. Because it's not a struggle. It's not like, well, is the dark side going to win this time? No, when you add light to your life and truly are willing to do it, it is going to make a change. It changes the way that you're living and it actually, I believe, is helping you. Where in your life do you need the light of God? And I gotta be honest, I know that there's stuff that I don't really necessarily want to do. But if I'm honest, I know that God is calling me to do it. Is there an area of of your life that needs the light of God? Because if you Walk with God, you will recognize that there's no darkness at all. That God's light overpowers the darkness. In the beginning here in 1 John 1, John wants us to ask the question, is the way that you're living actually helping you? Is the way that you're living moving you closer to God? deeper relationship with Jesus, better relationships with your friends and family. And we should walk in the light. We should be changed. We should let go of our illusions and practice the things that God has called us to. Because then we participate in the Zoe life, the life that will last forever. Let's pray. God, may we truly just stop cold and understand that your scriptures are a mirror for us. Help us to just hold them up, to examine our hearts, and to add light instead of trying to manage darkness. Managing darkness is a losing proposition. And there are ways that you are calling us forward, to be more forgiving, to be more loving, to be more generous, to be more hospitable. May we truly submit to your lead in those areas. God, you are good. And in you, there's no darkness at all. Because light overpowers the darkness. May we truly walk in it. In your son Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand and worship together.